And we're live. Excellent. And welcome to episode 40. 40. Yay. 40 is a new 30 of TLC Tech Learn Coffee. I am your host, along with Nancy Minicozzi. I am Lisa Nowakowski, a fifth grade teacher in South Monterey County in California. And I'm Nancy, an instructional tech coach in Northwest LA County. And remember, we do have a 15 minute uh, format because ain't nobody got time, more time than that. Ugh. All right. Today. So today, I uh, our coffee, our random coffee fact. I didn't put the fact in our show notes because I'm gonna have uh, I'm gonna have you guys guess. So the ten professions that drink the most coffee. I think we can all guess that teachers are on the list, but surprisingly, we are not number one. Where in the top ten do you think that teachers rank in the professions that need coffee the most? We could. Ooh, excellent question. And maybe the person who comes the closest or actually guesses gets a prize. We do have magnets because magnets are cool. And stickers. We have stickers too. We do have stickers. Anyhow, I want you guys to guess. So there might be prizes involved, people. But we're moving on to tonight's guest who is Sam Patterson. I'm so excited to talk to Sam uh, who will be talking to us about toy hacking. You know you all want to do it. Your kids do it with the Barbies. Let's hear what Sam has to say. So, Sam, tell us a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you do. Sure thing. Sam Patterson. I am a makerspace coordinator for a pre-K through sixth grade independent school in Culver City, Echo Horizon School. And I have a doctorate in literacy education. And for years, I taught high school English. Wow, you, you've got many skills. We were talking beforehand about your many talented skills. Um, so what exactly is toy hacking? I can't imagine it's just the pulling the head off of a Barbie and making your younger sibling cry about it. Well, you know, that certainly is a very good example of a simple toy hack that has a very clear audience, right? If I had to put a little rhetorical frame on that, you could really describe why you've done that. Um, but yes, uh, toy hacking, as I'm working with it, is uh, an approach to robotics that's accessible to everybody. I like to say toy hacking robotics for the rest of us. Uh, because a lot of programs about teaching kids about robotics have really required kids to start at the beginning of the program with a desire to build a robot. And I have discovered that many of my students do not care about robots. <laughs> Can't and that's cool, yet. right? Right? Okay, cool. You don't care about robots, but I really want them to learn how to use an Arduino style controller to make motors and servos do things for a reason. And if we're really good, we're going to have some sensors in there because that's what a robotics platform like Lego Robotics or Vex or any of these teach you to do. Um, toy hacking, we take, you know, you run off to TJ Maxx and for $12, you get like a dinosaur toy. I got an Arlo, the good dinosaur toy. That was my first one. And you go in and you figure out what leads are the motor leads and you put some additional wires on that, and you plug it into your Hummingbird robotics board, and you use Scratch to make the dinosaur walk instead of pressing the button to make the dinosaur walk. And suddenly you've got control of this thing that already has the armature worked out. It already has the motors in place. They've worked out all of the physical problems. It's an incredibly short route from discovery to satisfying something, which was never my experience in the Build-A-Robot programs. 
which required you to have a lot of equipment because it was going to take a long time. And this kid had to have that kid sitting on a shelf for weeks on end while they built that robot. But with toy hacking, I've got five or six different toys that the kids can play with and they can hook up Arduinos to it. They can hook up hummingbirds to it. I've prepared these toys. I'm imagining that at some point I'm going to have sixth graders who are ready to prepare their own toys and that'll be its own fun too. With some older students, like seventh grade, eighth grade, once you can have, start working with soldering irons, the project of pre preparing these toys can be really amazing. But that's just the beginning of what can be done once you start messing with toys. <clears throat> There's That's amazing. Yeah. Go on. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I used to break toys all the time. I don't know. Sometimes it was an accident. Uh, if you're if you're not watching the visual, you may not see the hard side eye I'm giving myself here, right? But I always kind of learned something, and with a little bit belt about electronics and what kinds of things do what, and what kinds of things you find inside of toys, um, it suddenly opens it up. I mean, really. There's not a bunch of mysterious stuff inside of toys. It's all of the stuff that comes in that beginning Arduino kit. It's servos, it's motors, it's linkages. And as a STEM teacher, I struggle with gears and linkages. I see people going, doing really cool stuff with automation, but I can't figure out how to make that inherently interesting unless you start with it inside of a toy. Like this dinosaur walks because of the linkage that exists. Check it out. Um, and toy hacking in my classroom, while it's really cool, super engaging, people like it, the reason it wins a spot in my classroom is it supports choice-based learning. And this is where I get out my little choice-based learning soapbox. And I talk about the role of student choice in the classroom. I, for years as a writing instructor, knew that student choice was vital to making the writing go in my classroom. They had to care about the story they were telling or it was going to be worthless because they were just going to be trying to put words together that would please me. And I'm a crazy old man. I don't become pleased, right? <laughs> like <clears throat> you're not, and you're certainly not going to do it by writing something. Come on. No, you know, unless it communicated something vital about what they actually believe. So it was always trying to figure out how do I get to that as a makerspace teacher. If I start off with what thing, things that they're interested in, anything they create has that authenticity to it. Um, what I challenge myself to do, though, is create situations where we're not all doing the same thing. So if we're all going to learn about robotics, how do we do that if we're all not taking the same robot kit out of the same box and following the same set of instructions? What does that look like? And what it looks like in my classroom, give them an assignment that said, okay, today is biomechanics simulation. You need to choose one of these ways of making something move and make it move like an animal. And I had three robots that we had already built. There was a GoPyGo robot. Uh, I think that one's the one by Dexter Industries. There was a Microbit robot with the Motobot kit from SparkFun and an Edison robot. All of, all of those really great robots. If you've never seen the Edison, it's $25. <laughs> it's amazing. Wow. And it's $25. Um, and then I had five of my prepped toys and associated hummingbird robotics boards and kits. 
and they just connected the prep toys to the hummingbird robotics kits mostly with alligator clips and jumper wires so it's not necessarily exactly out of the box use of hummingbird but at the same time it's not unsafe mostly except for the part that one part, the where, part where they accidentally get... kind of sort of started a fire <laughs> well they didn't start a fire yet right they have these uh what age dude this is uh we're working uh we did this what fifth grade um the hummingbird kits have a motor driver on it now i'll tell you before you get into this you should know that making something light up and making it move a little bit like with a servo takes one kind of voltage and making something move with a motor takes another kind of voltage so usually the trickiest thing is figuring out how to make motors go but i've found two paths that are really accessible. And the first one is the Hummingbird Robotics Kit because they have an improved Arduino board with a motor driver right on board. <clears throat> and if you're not using a, a wire that fits in that ready-made slot, you can. This is not recommended. Take a paper clip that's been straightened out. It's a horrible idea. And put it in that accessible motor slot and connect to it with an alligator clip and then put another one right next to it right next to it and connect to another alligator clip and be sure to explain to the student they're a fifth grader totally in control of all of their senses and <laughs> say make sure these two don't touch it's really important did you see ghostbusters do you remember the crossing the streams thing it's just like that so far we've been nearly a hundred percent successful and the failure was not dramatic at all it just didn't work nothing was wrecked so um you know, that's why I'm not pretending this never happened. But, you know, you can find these workarounds because ultimately you are operating in this nice little gray area of trying to make that work. The second route that I've found is the micro bit, the BBC micro bit, and an extension board from SparkFun called the Moto bit board. Now, the micro bit, if you've never seen it, is a microcontroller similar to an Arduino that if you haven't seen it yet you will within the next few months i'm certain it's literally taking over the entire controllable board space because i think they're 25 dollars and they've got a five by five led display matrix on them they can be programmed through the make code website which is uh, developed and supported by microsoft which means this microcontroller is programmable via chromebook Beautiful. And all of these things and it's sound a block -based so completely -based. affordable. Yes. You know, and that so you've got the $25 microcontroller and the $14 extension board. The $14 extension board gives you motor control. It gives you control for four servos and two motors. So you can run an entire robot off of this, you know, $40 combination of two boards. Um, but there's also accelerometers and all kinds of data potential in the micro bit. The micro bit is something that I can see over the course of the next couple of years becoming the backbone of programmable interactives in the in you know my school's makerspace just because they're so straightforward. And there's so many opportunities for data. You can hook up sensors, you can have them doing data logging, data visualization. If you're a STEM teacher and you haven't done any research into data visualization, you're missing out because you can send the kids to a psychedelic light show and have it count for STEM credit. It's awesome. 
So kind of like the whole Pink Floyd laser show a thing again? Exactly. But instead of just putting Roger Waters' production team in charge of the visuals, you tie it to the level of hydration in the plants in the school garden. Ugh, that is fantastic. I just never connected, like, doing the toy hacking and, or, you know, the robotics with all of these different kind of data sets that are in there. That is exactly right. what it's, we need. Because here's the thing. It's all about, like, all of programming is about turning switches on and off, right? So whether you're making the light light up or the motor turn, you're turning that switch on and off. How much right. you turn the switch on and off to what degree can be directly tied to data. And then what that robot does becomes a visualization of how fast the wind's blowing, what the relative humidity is, you know, how many people are using the Waze app in your area, what, whatever you want to tap into. That is beautiful. I am amazed at, at what you've done um, in, in your makerspace and, and what you're doing with the toy hacking. And it just, it seems so beneficial for so many students. Um, with that, uh, go, continuing on with that, so what are some of the benefits that you have seen um, with the students? Um, I'm sure like they are totally engaged, like who wouldn't love to tear apart the dinosaur to see how it works? Well, yes and no, right? There are still those that manage to be like, oh, another creative activity that's focused on my choice. Ugh. Why can't you just tell us what to do? <laughs> like, that's a reality, right? Um, but yeah. the, the benefit is that you see more kids engaging in authentic problem solving because they're working on an authentic problem, right? That busted up dinosaur without any skin on it, it does not have a manual. It doesn't have a help page. It doesn't even have like a benevolent old man behind it, right? You've got Dr. <laughs> Patterson and he tells you to figure it out. Um, and, you know, that's, that's the thing, right? So you, they have to figure out what they want to figure out. And there's all kinds of great problem solving that goes on in there. And they have documentation that we do. For me, it's, I'm really just trying to give them problems that are meaty enough that they'll build some skills as they work their way through them and be constantly engaged in that process of how do I figure something out? What have I figured out? How do I document it? How do I share it? That is the time. Wow. That, this, I could just sit here and listen to you for like an hour. Um, so is, go ahead, Nancy. No, I was going to say me too. It's fascinating. It is, and I'm learning so much from you, and I learned so much from our guests. Um, so is there any last words of advice in this last minute that you have for teachers, um, whether it's, you know, how to get started in toy hacking or any, well, any advice for her? We put a bunch of resources in the show notes, so there's good spots to get started. Questions, reach out to me. Uh, try something, right? Like, ask your kids to bring in broken toys. Cut them open, apply voltage, have a fire extinguisher handy. <laughs> That would probably be good. Yes, our students were convinced that our makers oh, oh, I, I have at least two rules. There might be three if I remember the third one. But the two, rule, two rules are, and I tell these directly to the children, rule number one, never let me crush your dreams. Rule number two, safety uh, first. I like, love rule number one. I mean, rule number two is good and all, but rule number one, oh, no, that no, is like, such a wonderful rule. Right? Because they'll be oh, like, can I do this? That. And I'll be like, no. And they'll be like, really? Because rule number one. And I'll be like, oh, fine. <laughs> and then you're like, but rule number two, we don't want to burn down the school. That would be bad. All right. Well, thank you so much, Sam, for joining us. 
This was this was just fascinating, and and I loved it. So thank you very much. And thank you. Thank you to all our listeners. Um, so if you have a guess about which profession drinks the most coffee and where teachers rank in the top 10, be sure to put a comment. Um, if you enjoyed the show, leave us a comment, please, to let us know. And tonight's comment question is, is there a toy that really annoys you that you think deserves to be hacked? What is it? <laughs> so uh, ne our next episode is going to be on a special day. It's going to be Sunday, November 19th at 1030 in the morning. Uh, and our guest will be Kat Goyette, who is going to be sharing some fabulous resources for speaking and listening. So excited to talk to her. Um, so please don't forget to subscribe uh, to hear more about easy ways for you to innovate your classroom. So wherever you subscribe to your podcast or on YouTube, however you watch us, that would be fantastic. And remember, we are always looking for guests to share the great things that they are doing in their classrooms. So if you know someone who fits the bill or if you'd like to be a guest yourself, please visit tlc.ninja and complete the contact form to let us know. You, everybody does great things in their classroom. We love to share. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.